let's get into the second part of the head of a leader. These are leadership assumptions and methods that we're going to be talking about here today. So the memory verse for this week is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So I want to talk to you about first. The first thing I want to talk to you about is this. We talked before about creating a life mission, the vision and the values, right? We're into the core values. What does that actually look like in comparison to a leader? But now we're going to get more into the realm of Jesus's compelling vision. Okay, this is Jesus's compelling vision. And I want to start off with Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was the vision of Jesus. That was the ultimate goal of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to John 17. That's going to kind of be our anchor text uh, for this session here. But John 17, um, a key insight uh, into Jesus's compelling vision for his life is actually found here in John 17 in his prayer. And this was a prayer that was towards his disciples in John 17. I want to start off with John 17, 4. And it says this, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Right? Jesus stayed focused on task. Jesus stayed focused on the mission that the Father gave to him. He stayed on task in total obedience and in commitment. Okay? So, one of the greatest uh, services that us as leaders can provide for others is the consistency of purpose is the consistency of purpose. I want you to remember that because that's what we offer as leaders. We give, we give other people that consistency of purpose. We don't just stop at one level of purpose. We keep going and we allow the purpose to grow and to germinate and we allow the purpose to go into other people. And sometimes as leaders, guess what? We allow people to take the purpose from us so that they can run with it. We don't harbor the purpose on our own. And sometimes as leaders, we get so greedy and we get selfish. That's my gift. That's mine, God. Why I got to give it to them? They don't deserve it. I've been serving you all this long. And sometimes we get into that mode, right? So the question is, how are people viewing you when distractions come your way? Because what they're going to end up doing is evaluate you. They're going to evaluate your consistency. They're going to evaluate your God-given purpose, if it is from God or not. Some of us, we're not testing the spirit enough in people. Let me say that again. Some of us, we're not testing the spirit enough in people. That goes for leaders, that goes for pastors, that goes for anybody. Because people are going to evaluate you based on how you respond to them. Right? So Jesus understood that um, equipping his followers was crucial in carrying out the mission. He understood that. I have to equip these disciples so that they can carry what the Father has given to me, this compelling vision, and I got to give it to them, but I got to give it to them in such a way that they're going to be able to thrive and to carry it for years and centuries to come. Let's read John 17, 7 to 8. Would you open up your Bibles if you have? 
Okay, we're going to do some highlighting. You're going to do some underlining here. So John chapter 17, verse 7 to 8. And I'm going to start reading here. It says, Now they knew that everything that you have given me is from you. Right? Jesus, again, is dialoguing uh, with the Father. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. Underline that. You gave me. The Father gave me these words. These are not my own assumptions. These are not my own methods. These are not my own words. You gave them to me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed. Underline that. Believe. They have believed that you sent me. So, as a leader, we have to ensure that others understand the vision. If not, what's going to end up happening is your leadership is going to end up in frustration, right? And then you're going to have this unfulfilled mission that's going to discourage the people on your team or the people that are close to you, okay? Uh, one of the last lessons that Jesus actually taught his disciples on the night he was betrayed was actually the same one that he started with, which is what it means to be a servant leader. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to stay there for a little bit, but turn to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to do some more highlighting in here. So let's just, let's read the text. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to start with verse 19. Luke 22, verse 19. And you've probably heard this in communion, or you probably heard this uh, in some form uh, of sharing of a table. But Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they have eaten, saying, the cup, this cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And look at verse 34. Skip right to verse 34. A dispute also arose among them. Now let me just stop there. After, after communion, after Jesus just imparted to them, telling them the mission, they went right into a fight. That's like going into a family cookout at a barbecue, and you're in the backyard, and all is good, and you're, and you're praying before the food, and boom, just a, a fight. Literally, just chaos just happens. It happens in church circles as well. You cannot tell me that even after communion, you're still not getting into arguments with others. So... Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Oh, really? Okay. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Verse 26, this is what I want you guys to highlight. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. So, Jesus was, was, was essentially putting the disciples on a dangerous journey. Because it had to change their mind and it had to change their perspective to not what leadership looked like at that time. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest. But in Jewish culture, the youngest were the ones that were really disregarded. In any Jewish context, it was always the oldest one that reaped the blessing. All right, if you remember, read your Bible. So 
So we know that. So now Jesus is, is, is giving them a form of leadership that is contradictory to their understanding, right? The more difficult the, the, and, and dangerous this journey is going to become, uh, the reality is, guys, that it's the more we get into this realm of leadership where we're being stretched, uh, the more that the leaders must be willing to maintain care within their team and love within their team and strength within their team. Because of t- uh, attentiveness to the mission provides a clear set of what's called operating values. Okay, these, these are these operating values. Okay, um, attentiveness to the mission provides a clear set of operating values. We talked about the values last time. Go back. Study those values that we talked about, right? But these values, what they do is it models how to use them in decision-making processes, right? Even when the leader is not present. Because what you're doing is you're lifting up those values, whether this, for instance, freedom, unity, generosity, excellence, you're lifting up those values. Other people are able to operate in those values and a successful leader is one that says, even if I'm not present, those values are still in operation within the teams and the structures, right? So think about it like that. So as a leader, you also must be willing to do this, not just display the operating values of what you hold in your heart, but a leader must be willing to, to, uh, to stand up for your team. You got to be willing to stand up for your team in the face of opposition and in the face of unjustified criticism. Your teams will be criticized. Your families will be criticized. (coughs) People will be criticized on your team because of the values that you hold, because not everybody, remember I said this last time, not everybody shares the same value system. Okay. Now, as Christians, we do, but even as Christians, there are discrepancies and there are things that we don't share uh, on a certain theological uh, plane. So um, as a leader, also, you must be do, you must do this. You must be willing to protect and possibly lay down your life for others. This is all in the context of what Jesus is saying here. As a leader, you must be willing to protect and even if possible, lay down your life for others, right? We know Jesus is the good shepherd. We read that in Psalms, not Psalms, John 10, uh, 11, and 28. So what Jesus essentially did was Jesus looked beyond the present and he wanted to implement this mission, right, to his disciples to guarantee these results. So on the last night of his earthly ministry, he prayed this prayer. And I want, to, I want to read this to you. This is John 17. This is verse 11 and 15. Okay. He prays this prayer. He says this. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Underline that. Highlight that. That's very important. Keep them in your name. Not keep them in my name. Not keep them in the reputation that I built up. Not keep them under under submission, under my pride. Not keep them under, oh, because uh, um, I'm the greatest leader of all time. No. Jesus, again, like the mirror in Rebecca's uh, uh, life statement, reflects it right back to the glory of God. Right back to the Father. Keep them in your name, not mine. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you you keep them from the evil one. Here's a sentence I want you to, to remember and highlight. A great and enduring vision 
will extend beyond the individual season of leadership. Let me repeat that again. A great and enduring vision will extend beyond the individual's season of leadership. What is the fruit of your leadership? Because sometimes we do things with, with remember I said this before, right? The driven person versus the what? The called person. The driven person is more concerned about the temporary, what's happening right now. The called person understands that their life is on a loan. So they live their life on a loan. I got a phone call the other day from one of our young adult leaders. I literally put him <laughs> through a whole system of uh, correcting and loving and growing. And he's been stronger ever since. And literally, he just called me up and said, hey, you know, Pastor Eddie, um, you know, we got X amount of money from, from this event. It's a large amount of money. I just, I just want to give it to Ukraine. I just want to give it away. Now, a year ago, he would not be able to do that because his heart and his mind wasn't in the right place. But this is, but this is the reality. He stayed under submission, even though it was so hard for that person to stay and to grow and to be discipled, he ended up staying. And trust me, I know because I see people come and go all the time, been in church settings for a long time. So they, he stayed. And as a result, he looks totally different because he understands, he understands the vision of the house. He understands the enduring vision. And he understands that what he's doing right now and th the amount of money that he gave is going to extend beyond the temporary. It's going to bless other people in that region and it's going to have spiritual ramifications. So even in that sense, you guys have to, the reality is the fruit of any great leader leaves their team with a few things. Okay, I'm gonna give you the few things. Any fruit of a great leader is going to leave your team with wisdom. It's going to leave your team with knowledge. It's going to leave your team with the spiritual resources to face future challenges. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to accomplish with his disciples. He was dialoguing with the Father and say, you know what? Yes, they're going to be part of this world, but look after them. Keep them from the evil one. What does that mean, keep them from the evil? Give them the spiritual resources that you have given me, Heavenly Father, so that I can fight this fight, so that I can continue to progress forward. So the prayer that Jesus prayed to his disciples is not only for them at that specific time, but it's also for us who believe. Amen? <laughs> And that's why if you go further down in John 17, you actually see in John 17, 20, it says, I do not ask for these only. I'm not just asking for these only, not for just the disciples that are just here, but also for those, and you could, you could highlight this, who will believe, who will believe in me through their word. So, are we equipping our team the way that Jesus, are we equipping our people the way that Jesus did with his disciples? Are we allowing them to grab a hold of the operating values? Are we allowing them to endure with us in the vision? Because it's going to extend beyond us just the way Jesus and the gospel extended beyond the life of Jesus, the short life, the physical life of Jesus. It extended beyond that. Did Christianity stop right when Jesus died? No. It kept going. So what is it that you are doing now? Everything that you do, I want you to think about it like this. Everything that you do should multiply itself 10 times. It should be in this... Uh, state of multiplying and growing and going beyond yourself, reaching other people. So that's the first thing.
let's talk about implementing your compelling vision. Now that we know the, the Jesus's compelling vision, what that actually looked like, now let's talk about actually implementing your compelling vision. And I want to start here with Mark chapter 1, verse 38. So Mark 1, 38 says this, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came. So when you look at when you're looking at the the traditional what's called the pyramid of hierarchy, okay, there's a pyramid of hierarchy. Um, it's effective for the visionary aspect of leadership. I'm going to talk about a little bit about that, but uh, ultimately what people do is people look for the leader to provide them two things, vision and direction, right? Vision and direction. People want that. People want to see that, right? Uh, you may have some people on your team that, uh, are experienced and and can be uh, used for certain things, but the ultimate responsibility for establishing a compelling vision, it falls with the leader. It falls with you. Okay, and once you have once you have set the course for the vision, once you have you, you understand it, you 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 you've. You understand the values of it. You you've tested it, right? You're, you're a visionary and you're implementing it. Once you have set the course for the vision, what's going to end up happening is that the rest of the team is expected to respond to that vision and actually to live it out according to the guidelines that you set. So this is what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the visionary or the directional role. All right, so this is the visionary or the directional role. This is the visionary or the directional role. So what ends up happening here is the visionary at the top is the leader here, where they are responsible for everything that happens downward. So here, They are responsible. For, they're responsible for everything that happens downward. So, who's here? This is your team. Your team is here. So they are responsive to your vision. They are responsive to what's transpiring. So this is the visionary. This is the person that's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring vision into you. Um, I'm giving you guys direction. This is the role, right? They're at the top and they're pouring it down, but they're ultimately uh, responsible for everything because they're at the top. And then you have your team that they're responsive to what the vision um, is entailing, okay? So just understand that. So once people now begin to clearly understand your vision, right? And where you want to take them. Now the emphasis now switches to the second role. So this is the second role. The second role is the, uh, the role of leadership uh, implementation. This is the implementation role. Now, uh, as a leader, the roles are now reversed in that kind of a role. So now, what ends up happening is that you become a servant of the vision and the and the and the the triangle and the pyramid looks upside down. So now what you have here is you have the leader here, okay? And the leader is now responsible but what happens?
who's at the top? The team. Now you have the team on the top, right? So they are responsive. So when you become now here, right? When you, when you become the servant, the traditional pyramid, which is here, this is the traditional pyramid of leadership. The hierarchy now must be turned upside down so that others can be on the top and take responsibility. You understand where I'm coming from? This is, this is you guys got to get this because this is everything that Jesus has modeled for us. This is everything that we're talking about here. So here, what leaders are, they are uh, responsive. They're responsive to the needs of the people, right? They're training and they're developing them to accomplish their goals and to live out according to the vision. That's what it means. But a lot of us, our pride likes to thrive under this model. We like to, th to thrive under the model of the traditional where we're responsible for everything. We have the vision, we cast it, but yet we want full uh, responsibility. And our teams are at the bottom wondering where is the vision. But instead, this is the model of Jesus. This is the model of servant leadership. This is the model that we're at the bottom now and we're pushing people up towards their purpose. And we're pushing people up towards the vision. Okay? So, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, what he was doing was he was transitioning his focus from visionary to the, the visionary and the leadership role to now that of the implementation or the servant role, right? So Jesus was flipping it around, okay? So you need to know this. When's the right time to make that transition? You need to know as a leader, when is the right time that I need to make that transition? Because here's what happens now, right? Now, there's nothing wrong per se with this role. And there's a lot of people that thrive and function, but they have to put a lot of processes here in order so that the people understand the vision. Okay. But in this role, it just makes servant leadership way more easy. But here's the thing, you have to transition because you could be overly visionary and nothing gets implemented. So too early, if you transition too early, what you're gonna end up doing is you're gonna lead people down a destructive path. If you do it too late, you're gonna stifle your teams. So you have to understand now that takes years of just knowing your team, years of knowing the people, right? Sharing a table with them, understanding where they're coming from. So Jesus, at this point of time, what he does is that he turns the organizational pyramid upside down. He demonstrates the true essence of great leadership, and he is challenging his disciples to do the very same thing. Guys, let me tell you something. This right here, you get this. I mean, this this right here, you get this in any master's level leadership course that's being taught here. The difference is we're looking at it through a biblical perspective, and we're flipping it. Some of us, we like to be on the top of the mountain. But it's not at the top of the mountain that matters. It's when you're down here and you're being responsible uh, you're, you're being responsive now because you're a leader responsive. Guess who has uh, the responsibility now? The team. Because you've now pushed it up. You've pushed the responsibility up now. And you've given them and you've cast them the vision and they run with it. Okay? So, Jesus is demonstrating some great leadership here and he's challenging you and I to do the same even today with our teams. So I want to give you, aside from this, I want to give you three essential, what's called powers of biblical leadership. Okay. 
These are three essential powers of biblical leadership. Okay, this is the first power of leadership. It's called positional power. Okay, this is positional power. Now, I don't, I don't want you to fall in the trap of losing what's called positional power because positional power is important, but it can be misused as well, right? Because people use their position to get influence. People use their position in such a way to manipulate. Maybe you guys have some church leaders or people or family members that positionally, right? They're 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 maybe higher on, on on the food chain, so to say, but they use their leadership to manipulate or to get what they want. So, your position, and I want you to remember this. This is key. Your position only ex extends to the point of your character. Your position. Man, I wish somebody would just shout me down because that is so, that right there, your position only extends to the point of your character. Guess what? If you're a person of ill character or you're a person that uh, uh, doesn't live up to the, the qualifications of eldership or deaconship, we read for a first Timothy three, one, uh, Titus one, five, it gives you all of the qualifications. If you can't live up to that, your leadership is only go as go, going to go as far as your character. It's not going to go beyond that. It's going to only extend to that point. And then what ends up happening is you lose position. You lose position for the future. Like even me, like people say, oh, Pastor Eddie, you know, you got your degree and this and that, and I want more. I want to continue to stretch what I'm learning. I want to continue to stretch. And the things that I don't know, I want to know. I want to learn. I want to keep growing and stretching my character. I want to keep learning and, and being a better father and being a better husband and being a better servant. That's what I want to be. You all should thrive to say my position and look, we have a high calling that's in Christ Jesus. So why are we stopping our high calling, our positional high calling with sin or with a failed character when God has so much more for you right now? So that's the first one, positional power. The second one is personal power. Now, when we're talking about personal power with leadership, okay, uh, this is not based on like some like the office that you hold, um, but it's the impact of your life on other people. That's the personal touch, right? Whenever uh, it's it's the power of relationship. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, Jesus was able to lead this way the way that he did because of his influence through relationship, right? So he understood the, the, the personal power, right? Even the power of touch, just touching people so that they could be familiar and feel the intimacy and feel that closeness, right? They, they, they wanted to, uh, uh, John, the beloved uh, disciple, would just lean into Jesus and kind of like lay at his bosom, right? We're not laying enough at the bosom of other people. So what makes us think that whatever we're going to say is going to get done when we can even personally connect with the other person? I can't stand leaders. <laughs> they have this, this egotistic uh, ideology that, okay, well, you know, uh, I got this vision and I'm a leadership and I'm a deacon or I'm a pastor. pastor so what I say goes, goes. So you got to do what I say. Don't work like that, buddy. Sorry, sorry to burst your theological bubble, but it is the personal relational touch that you have with people that they know like, hey, you know, is is Pastor Eddie someone that's going to be able to, to, to talk to me for hours and hours and, and, and hear my cry and prayer? Yes. Is Pastor Eddie someone that's going to just take his time out of his day, out of his schedule to say, hey, you know what, do you need something? I'll go and, I'll, and I think somebody put it like this. If you're not willing to help me with 
with, uh, let's say I'm, I'm in the car and I'm driving and it's two o'clock in the morning and I get a flat tire and you're the first person I call and you don't pick up that phone knowing I need help, you're the wrong person for the job. Because if you ain't picking that phone call at two, two in the morning and you shared, I'm not saying a literal two in the morning, but you guys know what I'm saying, um, uh, but it's that personal touch that you have with people. We also see Paul doing this. If you look at the letter of Philemon, uh, he exercises this power to motivate. What he does is he's, he motivates Philemon to accept a runaway slave as a Christian brother in the Lord. Okay, so Paul was able to exercise his leadership to move specific people to a God-given purpose, right? So he tells Philemon, hey, listen, this guy, he, he's a runaway slave. We, you know, we understand what the law says, but bring him back into the fold as a brother in the Lord. Give him the personal relationship that he so desperately needs. Some people are craving relationship, and we're the ones that we can't even see it because we're too high on the mountain to see it. We haven't gone below. We haven't, we haven't spent enough time here. Oh, we haven't spent enough, enough time here. We're so concerned about being on the top. We're so concerned about being the big dog, the big cheese. We're so concerned about the vision that we forgot about what's at the bottom. And this is the third one, persuasive power, persuasive power. So there's positional power, there's personal power, and now there's persuasive power. So here we're not talking about uh, kind of like muscling or manipulating people with clever words or, or speech, uh, but this is what it means. It means the power of truth. It means the power of ideas that fall under the word of God. That's what we're talking about. That's the persuasive power that we're talking about. Persuasive power can be used through teaching or even sharing, uh, but it should always reflect the glory of God, right? Uh, Paul, while he was in Ephesus, he actually exercised this persuasive power. And you can just write the scripture down for your own references, but Acts chapter 19, verse 8, Paul says, he says, and he entered the synagogue, and for three months, three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Paul, understand this. Sometimes we can't even do it for three minutes, let alone three months. Sometimes talking to people, right, as soon as we get some kind of difference of opinion, or we get a, a, a automatic no, we automatically quit, and then we stop. That's not persuasion. That's not the persuasive power of the truth of the gospel living inside of you. That's you giving up on the gospel. That's what that means. Man, I know that's harsh, but that is the reality. Because if you think that people are going to come to the gospel just because of how you look, or just because you said a few words. Jesus had to demonstrate it through miracles. Jesus had to demonstrate it through healing. Jesus had to go across the Sea of Galilee at times. Sometimes you gotta stretch yourself. Sometimes you gotta get up off, off your high horse, up out of the mountain, and you gotta persuade people, not just by reason or eloquent words of speaking, but you gotta persuade people with the truth that's living inside of you until they get it. Until they get it. I've been working on my coworkers for a long time, months now and years. I don't stop. You think I've stopped telling them about the gospel? I've never stopped. They, they still see me with my Big old King James Bible, wide, wide, wide open. They still see me uh, with my character still the same. Didn't change. They still see me. That's the greatest persuasion that we could give people. The consistency of purpose. We talked about that. So let's not get tired of doing well. Let's not get tired of doing well. Some of us, we got into the point 
where we've just given up. And I want you to know if that's you, I don't know if I'm speaking to someone here, but if you felt like you given up, it's time to get back because now is not the time to give up. God's given you too much. So let's go back to John. John chapter 13, and I'm going to read verse 12 to 15 here. We're almost at the end, and then we'll, t- we'll take some Q&A. Notice here that Jesus, he's in John chapter 13, verse 12 to 15, Jesus tells his disciples um, this after he's washing their feet. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, the positional power. Okay, watch, catch this, guys. This is all going to click in right now, so you got you to listen. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So Jesus still maintains his role as teacher and Lord, right? But he understands the concept that effectiveness soars when you are responding to the needs of people. That's positional power. That right there, that's positional power, right? Jesus also provides clear direction here in the form of an example do this do this very thing before sending them out to serve what what is that that's personal power that's the personal power that i have for you i'm i'm actually physically touching you i'm washing your feet and if you know anything about ancient israel at that time they didn't have nikes they had sandals, y'all. <laughs> and they would walk in dust and dung and all kinds of things that you wouldn't even possibly believe. And Jesus is literally washing their feet. Sure, there was a couple of toenails and, and, and bunions and all that stuff mixed in the bunch of that. But that's what Jesus did. It was a personal power. I'm personally touching your feet. Woo. Powerful moment right there because Jesus personally touches the feet so that now they can walk in the calling. It's a powerful, powerful moment there. And then lastly, Jesus hears from the top of the hierarchy, the Father. Right? And then he tells them to become fishers of men. He persuaded them. He persuaded them, become fishers of men, loving God first and then your neighbor. Jesus used the persuasive power on them. You see how all this is dialing in? All this is clicking in right now? So the implementation stage here of effective leadership is actually where most leaders and organizations actually get into trouble here. They get, they get into a lot of trouble because they don't know how to manage it well, right? Um, if you don't turn the pyramid upside down, when you start implementing the vision, what's going to end up happening is something called a duck pond. You're going to end up with a whole bunch of ducks here, just quacking away, just doing it just to just, you know, just to do it. They don't really want to be part of the vision, right? Every answer you give them is like, okay, yes, I'll do it, right? Instead, you need, if you don't, if you don't flip this around, you need to allow your frontline leaders here to be the point of contact now. They're the ones responding to people because now they carry the vision. Now, now let me tell you something. You think every, now, and, and here's the thing that, that we've learned and I've learned too being a pastor at V1, not everybody has to come to me. Not everybody has to come to me. People like, would like to come to me, right? And they want to get, they want to pick my brain and, and call me and text me at all hours of the day. 
I've been getting that a lot lately. So, but here's the thing. If I don't allow the people, my team members, the dream team around me, if I don't allow them to be the front line and to say, no, now you guys have the positional power, the personal power, the persuasive power, right? You have all the authority. You don't need me anymore. I'm just there to just make sure that the job is getting done. I'm just there to make sure that I'm there as a resource. I'm just there to make sure that I'm lifting you up just in case something happens and you come right back down. I'm there to push you right back up. So Matthew 20, 28 says, even as the son of man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? So why did he come to serve? Jesus came to serve people. And to prepare them to go and to share the gospel of forgiveness and for salvation. Matthew 20, 26 says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Jesus mandates that we establish clear vision, right? Clear vision for our teams here but vision that will shine brightest in a dark room vision that will shine brightest in a dark room because here's the thing i want you guys and i want i want you all to write this, this this statement down if you don't write anything down this is going to seal the deal for the head of leadership because the vision must be bigger than you because the vision must be bigger than you. It has to be bigger than you. It has to. It has to be about people. When we put the heart and the head together, right? Now think about this. When we put the heart and the head together in a leadership Jesus perspective, what's going to end up happening is other people become more important to us. And then we got to take the back seat. We take the back seat as leaders. We got to allow the people to rise up to the occasion. They got to they gotta be important to us. Not the other way around. And Jesus equipped his disciples with competency and confidence to serve as leaders. So what it is, is, is turning uh the vision that we talked about it's a, into a rela a reality right it's requiring leaders to have a servant's heart this is the servant role to have a servant's heart and a strategy to develop and empower others to live according to those three things we talked about the vision the values and the goals but as leaders we need to learn to do this and i'm going to end with this as leaders, we must relinquish control. We have to relinquish this control and this idea that I have to hold on to everything in order for it to get done. Some of us, our grip is so tight that we can't even see what's beyond it because we don't want to let it go because there's a fear there. We talked about fear. Remember the, one of the first lessons we talked about fear. But leaders must relinquish control in order to facilitate growth and development. In order for your people to grow, in order for the people in your teams to grow, you have to relinquish your control. You got to flip the pyramid upside down because what that's going to happen is they're going to have to grow. Right? They're going to have to grow now. And now they develop even more as a result. It's about helping people live according to the vision. Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll take a, take a quick uh, Q&A. God, thank you, Lord, for... Thank you for our heads. <laughs> but Lord, even though sometimes our heads are misguided... Our heads want to go in a different direction. Our heads want to thrive on our flesh. 
Our heads are not conformed. Our minds are not set on you. God, I pray that we may be able to turn that upside down. And we may be able to say that I will be willing to wash the feet of someone else. I may be willing to wash the feet of someone maybe that has hurt me in the past, God. Maybe someone, Lord, that the world looks like that maybe they don't uh, uh, deserve this kind of love. But we know that we love because you first loved us. So help us to love, O oh God, others, to serve others well, O oh Lord, that if we've been on this, this uh, visionary track journey, O oh Lord, and wanting to look, oh, it's all about me, it's all about me, help us to have to change that mindset, God, to switch gears and to say, no, we have to implement a role of servanthood so that others may be able to grow and others may be able to develop. And Lord, I thank you. Help us, O oh Lord, in our positional power. Help us, O oh God, in our personal power. Help us in our persuasive power so that we can use those not to manipulate, but to move the mission forward. That we may be able to use those, O oh God, in tangent together so that others will find hope and freedom and truth. God, we talked about the heart of a leader. And now we finish with the mind. And as we go into the hands, O oh God, and we put things now into practice, help us, O oh God, to serve one another well. I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for every leader here. I thank you for everyone here, O oh God. And if there is someone here, Lord, that is just still tugging at their heart saying, no, I don't think I could do this. This is, this is too much information or this is too much. This is overbearing for me, God. Even Jesus needed someone to help him pick up his cross. And we are here together to grow together, to learn together, to, to, to go through life together and, and to struggle together. If we can't do that, O oh God, Help us in this great commission to fulfill the vision that you have for this world. For God so loved the world. So help us to love the world with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and with all of our minds. In your name we pray. Amen.